What do I tell my kids about dinosaurs and creation? How do I read the Bible with my kids? How do I talk to my kids about sex? How do we become the parents that God wants us to be? Those are some really big questions, and they're just a few of the questions we all face as parents. And that's why we're so excited today to reveal to you a new ministry we're starting at The Jar. It's called Faith Shapers. It's our way of equipping you as parents to raise kids who are faith-shaped. We're going to give you the tools you need so that you can raise children who believe in Jesus and strive to follow him. So make sure you come visit me at the table in the back of the gym and check out the great new ministry we're offering to you, Faith Shapers. Well, good morning. Welcome to the jar. My name's Chris. I believe each of you, when you walked in today, received uh, one of these little uh, brochures called Faith Shapers. And if you have children, I just want to strongly encourage you not to leave today without stopping by and talking with Jana. Uh, what we're going to start in 09 is providing a class during the worship celebration for kids at different ages. And if you want to be a part of the jar and you want to see your kids grow, I mean, this is like one of those non-negotiables, you know. We really want you, by the age of your kids, to be connected uh, through Faith Shapers. So the dates are in here. You can write them down right now. In fact, if you want, you can say uh, February 8th. If you have a pre-kindergarten kid, you just say, I'm going to be at the jar. Uh, April 5th, June 14th, on and on and on. So you circle those and you say, you know what? I'm going to make sure that I'm there. And it'll be uh, for both our parents uh, and our children. Let's, uh, let's take a chance just to pray. Let's pray. Well, God, uh, we ask for uh, you to come and uh, in these next few minutes that we would be drawn closer to you uh, through the words that we will hear. And God, I pray for your servant who stands before your people that even in his inadequacy that you would make him adequate. And God, you would be with people that they would really hear from you today. So, Holy Spirit, we welcome you into this place. We ask for your presence to speak to our minds and our spirits. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. A couple is known pretty much by all of their family and friends and co-workers and neighbors as having a great marriage. But the truth is, they've been sleeping in separate beds for months. Their conversations typically range from just, at best, being polite and superficial to, at worst, being uh, people who have hard, cold contempt toward one another. Every week they go to church together, they sit beside each other in chairs, people walk by, they nod, they smile, they do their pleasantries. And they're convinced 
and they convince the people around them that they're a model couple. But the truth is, they're hiding. Nobody knows their secret, and they're all alone. A young mom, single mom, gets so angry at her small children that she could scream. And sometimes she does. She is so filled with rage that sometimes fear can be seen in her children's eyes. She reads stories in the papers about moms who hurt their kids, and she wonders if she's capable of doing the same thing. She feels ashamed of herself, but she doesn't tell anybody. You see, that's her secret. That's what she's hiding. And that young mom is all alone. There's a businessman who keeps promising himself that he will not watch the porn channel the next time that he goes on a business trip or go to the local strip club. But he keeps breaking his promise every single day that he's out. And he tells every and he doesn't tell anybody. This is what he hides. He's all alone. There's a college student who is the pride of her parents. She's been on the honor roll every single semester since she started high school. Nobody knows, though, that she's been cheating since junior high. She doesn't tell anybody. She's just been wearing a mask day after day, month after month, year after year. This is her secret, and she's all alone. And you know... it goes on and on with all of us that way. There are secrets in each of our lives. Some of them are quite dramatic. Some of them are just sad. But one thing that we've all become very, very good at is hiding and keeping secrets. We wear masks with each other. We get really, really good at hiding our true self with other folks. Our greatest fear, though, is not really that somebody will find out or that the truth might come to light. But actually, that's not the worst thing at all. The greatest fear is that no one would ever find out, that the truth would never come to light, and that you would go to your grave and you will meet the Maker of heaven and earth one day and you'll say, my life was a lie. I was enslaved by the secrets of my life ever since I was born. You were made to be known. You were made to know and be known. That's why God created you, to know and be known. And that's your greatest desire as a human being. There's a game that I bet every single person here has played. It was probably the first game that you ever played in your life. Nobody has ever written down the rules of this game. It's a very difficult game to keep score of. There's no leagues. It doesn't get television exposure. No beer companies are, you know, trying to push this game. But as far as I know, this game is played by every single person who's ever been created in all, in every culture, in every country. And you've got five seconds. Ask the person beside you, figure out what that game is, okay? 
Anybody know what the game is? Peekaboo. Peekaboo. Some of you, I just made your week. You're like, man, I got it right, you know? It's peekaboo. Now, the rules to this game are very, very simple. First you peek, then you boo. But it's a strange thing that the older that you get, you don't really get into this game very much. In fact, adults, you know, none of you would probably call your best friend or one of your couples and say, hey, what you doing on Friday night? Oh, nothing. Why don't you just come over to the house? You know, bring the kids. Bring some pizza. We'll have pop and we'll just have a great game of peekaboo, you know? I mean, we just don't do that. But adults will play this game with their children day after day, week after week, month after month. They do this because there's something inside of this child and they like to watch it. Because it's as if they're learning as you're looking at them. They say, first I hide myself, I conceal my eyes. You can't find me. You big, powerful person can't see me. And then all of a sudden, I'm independent. I'm a person. I'm seen. And presto, I reveal myself. I disclose myself to you. We're connected. We're together. I see and I'm seen. I know and I'm known. Over the past 18 months, there hasn't probably been a day that I have not played peekaboo with my daughter Jordan. Here's a couple of pictures of her. Here's a couple of pictures of her. Okay. There's the peak. Next picture. There's the boo. Okay. Or maybe that's the peak and the second one's the boo. I don't know. But we play this a lot over and over and over again. And, you know, each time that Jordan hides herself, I can see in her mind like the wheels are spinning. And she's asking, even though she can't say these words, are you still there, Daddy? I don't know. I hope so. I'm trusting you, Dada. I like trusting you. And in a real way, what Jordan is saying is that I'm seen, I'm known, and I'm loved. You know, folks, the whole crux of the Bible comes down to this big idea. If you don't get this, you'll never get life in the way that God intended it. And the big idea is this. You were created with a hunger to know and be known. That's why you were created. You have a hunger to know and be known. I mean, no matter what else you accomplish in life, no matter how many uh, you know, steps up the corporate ladder you go, no matter how many things you achieve, nothing else will satisfy your hunger as knowing that you, are know, that you know and you are known by God. Nothing else will matter. You know, there's a very interesting story in the very first book of the Bible, in Genesis, in which God talks about the creation of man and woman, of Adam and Eve. And before the downfall of Adam and Eve, 
before the downfall of all humanity, before they ate the fruit in the garden, before they separated themselves from God and all of humanity from God until Christ came, before there was sin that came into the world that kind of junked them all up, the Bible says this, the man and woman were naked and they were not ashamed. Now, I'm a PK, a preacher's kid, and uh, I've gone to hundreds of church services. Hundreds of them. And I've never heard any pastor speak on this verse. So I thought, I'm going for it. Naked, which we don't like to talk about very much, and ashamed, or shame we don't like to talk about. So, what's the writer really saying? What's he saying when he says that they were naked and not ashamed? Is it because Adam and Eve worked out a lot, you know, and they had low percentage of body fat? And so people thought, whoa, man, you know, they're not ashamed. They're studs. Well, this isn't a fashion statement, okay? This is a statement of the most inner part of who we are as human beings. When the writer said they were naked and not ashamed, what the point that he's making is there was no hiddenness. Nothing hidden between two people. No concealing, no guilty secrets from the past. There are no dark memories that one night you might wake up at two in the morning and you wish that you could have just done it all over again. Imagine this. Two human beings married to each other and they are totally known to each other, totally understanding everything about, everything that they've done, said, thought, felt, freely revealed. They know each other. And they knew that the only source of admiration and love and intimacy that they would ever need is from the other person because they know everything about them. Adam and Eve were fully loved and fully known between each other. But then sin came into the world, and they knew shame. After Adam and Eve ate the fruit, and they disobeyed God, the Bible tells us this. Toward evening, they, Adam and Eve, heard the Lord God walking about in the garden, so they hid themselves from the trees. The Lord God called to Adam, Where are you? He replied, I heard you, so I hid. Now, what's the verb that I highlighted with my voice? Hid. Yeah, God came to them and they hid themselves from Him. And ever since then, you and I and all human beings have been hiding ourselves from God and from each other. But your greatest desire is to know and be known. And yet, that's your greatest fear. What if we took each person here that was today and we stood them in front and you just told everything about your life, everything. Most of you are, would be walking out the door, you know, immediately. Because it's our greatest fear. But it's the greatest thing that we want in life. It's for us to be known. Now, in the rest of our time, what I want to talk about are three levels of deep disclosure or openness and disclosure, leading to deep disclosure. And I want to challenge each of you to kind of move away from the first level that I'm talking about towards that third level. And you may not be able to do that overnight. It won't happen. 
But you move from the first level to deeper levels of connection with people and with God. Now, here's the first level. It's called guarded communication. Guarded communication. Some people, especially psychologists, will tell you, just let it all hang out. Just tell people anything and everything. Just throw it all out there. Never have an unexpressed thought or feeling. Just say it the way it is. But you know what? That's not very wise. And it's not biblical. There is a time to deliberately hold back in communication and not reveal everything. For instance, Thanksgiving's coming up. And let's say that Aunt Edna brings a side dish to the Thanksgiving dinner. And she comes up and she asks you this question. How did you like my lima bean spam Velveeta cheese raspberry cabbage jello salad? <laughs> now in that moment, you don't have to say, Aunt Edna, I could be polite and speak in superficial generalities. But I want to be deep with you, Aunt Edna. I want to be authentic. And I want to tell you that I'm aware at the core of my being that right now at the core of where that salad is, I'm experiencing disgust and revulsion. And Edna, what in the name of heaven were you thinking when you made this? You should not be allowed to go in a kitchen for the rest of your life. You don't have to be that authentic, okay, with Aunt Edna in a few weeks. You can be polite. You can be superficial. It's okay to be vague. It's okay. Also, when you're in business sometimes, it's uh, appropriate to kind of be guarded. Jennifer and I recently bought a house and I was thinking about it. I would not want this type of real estate agent. One who would say to people how much we were willing to pay for their house. I would not want the real estate agent to say to the other people, well, here's the offer I've been authorized to make by Chris and Jennifer Bunch, but I want to be deeply open and transparent with you. I don't want to have a mask on. My, uh, they told me secretly that they would pay $20,000 more because they want the house so badly. I mean, I just wouldn't want a real estate agent like that to be transparent in that moment. In fact, there will be certain people in your life that you'll run across that you would be very wise to remain guarded. In fact, the writer of Proverbs, the wisdom book of the Bible, says this, A gossip tells secrets, so don't hang around with someone who talks too much. You should be very careful around people who talk too much. Because you should not reveal things to them. You know why? Because they can't keep their mouth shut. Use wisdom about how much you reveal to another person. Don't share deep stuff to somebody who's untrustworthy. It's just a step of pain that you're entering into. Just don't do it. So when people say, oh no, man, be open and free, it's, no, you don't. There is a time for guarded communication. And it's important 
that you have that in some of your relationships. Here's the second level. Everyday authenticity. Second level of openness and disclosure is this. Everyday authenticity. Just being yourself. I don't think there is anything that is more attractive in life than a person who knows that they're totally loved by God and they're open and transparent with who they are because they know that they have profound significance in God's eyes and they don't have to act certain ways to win approval from other folks. I'll tell you one of the things that drew me to my wife Jennifer was this point. I'll kind of give you a picture, an image, and then I'll explain it a little bit later. But I think all of you will be able to identify with this. Now, one of the most defining uh, moments in any dating relationship is when you see the other person for the first time without makeup. Makeup is what might be called artificial management. Okay? You wear it because you don't want the other person to see what you actually look like. Your unadorned face. So you wear makeup which is designed to make your face look better than it actually is. It makes your eyes look bigger, your lips look fuller, your nose look nosier. It just enhances, you know, every single blemish or flaw in your face. And it's so important that normally sane people who would never get into a car with a seatbelt and airbags will do anything, go on to head-on traffic to get their makeup just right and cause accidents. Now, I can still remember that Jennifer and I had not been dating very long in which uh, we were connecting, we were getting to know each other, and I just decided, you know, we had such a great time last night, I'm just going to show up at her dorm room in college unannounced. I mean, she didn't know I was coming. And so I get there and I knock on the door and I'm thinking, oh man, this is going to be great. And she opens up the door and she has Snoopy pajamas on. Her hair is all over the place. And she has no makeup. I mean, no lipstick, no blush, no mascara, no eyeliner, nothing. (laughs) Hang on. Actually, one of the ways that I knew I was most attracted to Jennifer was that when I looked at her, I found myself thinking, I kind of like this. I mean, I like the way she looks even without makeup. Let us continue before I get in trouble. But you know what? One of the things that drew me to my wife more than anything else was the kind of transparency she has in her spirit. Now, just for the record, Jennifer is not a perfect person by a long shot. She and I have a very normal relationship with ups and downs. I mean, we went to a marriage conference this uh, weekend, and uh, heck, we fought like cats and dogs on half of it. You know what I mean? But, uh, you know, we're trying to get better. 
But I'll tell you one of the things that I found most valuable in her is the kind of freedom that she has in her life. A real deep sense of authenticity. There's nothing fake about her. She has a real down-to-earth kind of personality. In fact, people often come up to me and they'll say, she's really a doctor? I go, yeah, oh, wow. Because they have a stereotype and she breaks it. And she had a readiness to say exactly what's on her heart in the moment and she doesn't worry about what other people think. And that was one of the things that she taught me so much in our early dating relationship. I think the reason I was so drawn to that was because if I was truthful, there was and there still is a part of me that struggles to be totally open with people like that. I remember when we were first dating, and Jennifer caught on this very early, was that I had a joke for everything. No matter what social circle we were in, I was always making the joke, being the center of the stage, so that people would connect with me. And the reason I did that is it was a coping mechanism. That if I could get everyone in the room laughing and joking and carrying on, I could just kind of hide the real Chris Bunch. And those deepest part of me, I could just kind of divert. Because people would say, oh man, he's so funny. And I'd try to impress people. The people who I knew need, uh, the people I knew who would help me get where I wanted to go, I'd try to do anything I could and say whatever they wanted me to say so that I could move up in success. In fact, the church, the first church I pastored for the first two years, I'm, I would say I was what I would call a preacher pleaser. In other words, I'd just try to please every single person that was in the church so that they'd like me. They'd like who I was. And I tried to do everything to please people, even when it wasn't right. But you know, the truth was, I just felt inadequate. I thought that if they really saw who Chris Bunch was, that maybe that wouldn't be quite good enough. Even today, sometimes I'll find myself, I'll find myself telling stories that make me sound better or stronger or more cool or more successful or more courageous or more caring.
And because he is in the presence of God, I also began to reverence and grow towards the Lord. And you see, he could bring me sometimes when the magic things happen to him. I was not a believer in Jesus, but I had a new baby. And look at that, I have to, and I have to see this world. And I think so many people get married here. And one of the exciting moments we see. And Moses is Christ, was at this blood, and he's coming, and he's waiting, and he's going to get back, and apparently he kept on the final trust that Moses had been with him. And he would spread into his face, with shining, and with glory. And he took a look at them, and he would say, God, this is a special God, he's so amazing. You know, at the time, I'm learning, there was just a couple of people taking a year, Because it's 